Welcome to the Dynasty Freaks podcast with your host, Justin Christopher. For free rankings, player values, waiver wire tips, and trade advice, follow him online at dynastyfreaks.com or email dynastyfreaks at gmail.com. Hello and greetings from Austin, Texas. Welcome all of you Dynasty Freaks. Admit it, it's okay, you're addicted to Dynasty. I am too. My name is Justin Christopher and I am a Dynasty Freak, which means I love drafting, trading, scouting, managing all of my teams. 365 days a year. So do you, so let's talk some Dynasty. Here's what we have in the store for episode number 92. We're actually going to be talking about 10 breakout players for 2020. 10 players that I think will break out next year. You know, obviously, as Dynasty owners, one of the most rewarding things we have in Dynasty is the way that we can wait patiently on players to develop. Think about how thrilled owners were. They had Kenyon Drake last year, Chris Godwin, Devontae Parker, Austin Hooper, Mike Kosecki. Every year, players rise from mediocrity to stardom and become every week starters for our teams for years and years to come. Definitely the best part of Dynasty. It's pretty easy to see a running back breakout. It's pretty rare, rather, to see a running back breakout after a year or two because running back position is the easiest position to translate from college to the NFL. So they tend to break out in year one or two. That said, like I said, Kenyon Drake did it last year. I remember dropping Drake at the roster cut deadline in one of my leagues um, just before his second year in Miami when Lamar Miller was in front of him. And I pretty much lost the Super Bowl last year in that league to the Kenyon Drake owner. That's exactly what happened. So I wasn't patient. That happens sometimes with running backs, but it's much more common to see the second and third year breakouts from the wide receiver and tight end position just because it takes quite a bit longer for these positions to learn to play in the offensive system as well as the nuances of running routes. Um, They also have to develop chemistry with a quarterback, something that running backs don't have to do. And then we also see a lot of times, sometimes players just need to change in the coaching staff to unlock their potential. We saw that last year with Chris Godwin and Devontae Parker, Mike Gusecki, all with new coaches. Quarterbacks usually improve gradually, gradually from year to year arguably until they're like in their mid-30s. So if rookies show enough promise to remain a starter throughout the year, they're bound to improve significantly in the years two and three and the years to come, especially when their teams then build talent around them in draft and in free agency. So that's kind of how I think about which types of players can break out, which positions are most likely. With all that said, I'm going to give you 10 players that I believe are going to have breakout seasons in 2020. By the end of the year, I think these will be starters uh, for your dynasty teams for the years to come. We'll start at quarterback position. I just have one here, Daniel Jones. I uh, see the Giants uh, were, of course, mocked incessantly after drafting Daniel Jones with a sixth pick in the 2019 draft, but they didn't look so stupid by the end of the year, did they? Um, I had Daniels as my number 54 overall uh, rookie last year, and so I'm not, I must not have been alone because I went back and looked at some of my drafts, and some of my drafts in one quarterback leagues, he wasn't drafted at all. But now I've changed my mind and I have him ranked as my number 14 quarterback overall. He finished the season tied with Aaron Rodgers as a QB 12 in points per game and six point per touchdown leagues. Uh, He had four dominant games uh, scoring near or above 40 points. And he always adds run uh, points on the ground as well, averaging 23 rushing yards per game. He's on the verge of a top 12 quarterback, in my opinion. I think he'll break out in 2020. Here's why I think so. Uh, Most second year quarterbacks, um, do drastically improve their turnover ratio. And so last year he threw for 12 interceptions, um, but strangely he had 10 fumbles. That kind of became what he was known for. He had 10 fumbles, making his actual turnover ratio 24 touchdowns to 24 turnovers. So 24 to 24, not very good. 
He may throw more interceptions next year, more than the 12, but there's no way he's going to fumble uh, that many times. That was kind of an anomaly, I believe. His completion percentage was also poor at 61%, which is pretty typical for a rookie. I think that's going to improve in his second year for sure. Plus, last year he was missing many of his best targets. So Evan Ingram and Sterling Shepard uh, were injured for most of the year. Even so, Jones made the other rookies, Darius Slayton and Caden Smith, look like stars um, by themselves when those guys were absent. So all of his weapons are going to be back this year. He'll have another year of building chemistry with them. Um, I put my money where my mouth is on this. I believe in, in, in this so much that I actually traded for him one league this offseason, and I've been trying hard to acquire him in another league but can't seem to quite get a deal done. I really believe that he'll be a top 12 quarterback for me next year, unless uh, Joe Burrow or Tua Tagaloa pass him up after their first years. Right now I have Jones actually sandwiched right between them at 14th with uh, Joe Burrow at 13 and Tua at 15. So I think, though, next year he'll be top 12. Big breakout year coming for Daniel Jones. At the running back position, I just have one as well. That's Damian Harris. He was my number eight ranked rookie last in last year's class, which meant I drafted him a lot because I actually had him ranked a lot higher than most analysts, so I got him in a lot of my leagues. Uh, though he had a decent draft capital, being drafted by New England as the 24th player in the third round, and he looked great in the preseason. He only had four carries for the entire year and only played in two of the 16 games. Ridiculous. None of the Patriots running backs, um, you know, Sonny Michelle, James White, Rex Burkhead, and Brandon Bolden left. None of them left in free agency. So I admit that it's a very crowded backfield. Even with all that stacked against him, I do believe Harris is going to break out next year. And here's why. Uh, Sony Michelle was average in his rookie year, and then he digressed in year two. He scored 70 fewer fantasy points and averaged 0.8 yards less per carry. James White, White played more snaps than Sony Michelle, but I believe that's mostly based on the fact that he was Tom Brady's security blanket. With Brady gone now in Tampa Bay, I think New England will become more of a run-heavy offense behind the second-year quarterback, Jarrett Stenham. Harris is the best all-around running back on the team, I believe. I think he's better suited for a three-down role, which they're going to need now in New England. And I think that New England sat on their uh, third-round pick uh, last year, but they can't afford to do so this year. They've seen enough of Michelle to know that they're not going to extend his contract, but now they need to see what they have in Harris to decide if he's the running back or their future. So he's bound to get more carries. I think that he could become like a pretty solid number two, so top 24 uh, running back in the years to come. Third player I think is going to break out would be J.J. Arcego-Whiteside. We now move to several receivers that I think will break out in 2020. Okay, as far as J.J., or to call him J.J., uh, unlike Damian Harris, uh, J.J. had plenty of opportunities to prove himself in Philadelphia. He just did nothing with it, even while two or more of Philadelphia's wide receivers were injured last year. The good news was that J.J. was on the field for 492 plays, and he played in every single game. The bad news, he only scored 27.9 fantasy points with all of those snaps, and he caught a pass in only seven of the 16 games that he played in. So the Eagles drafted a lot of receivers, including Jalen Rager in the first round. With all that stacked against him, though, I still believe J.J. can break out this year. Here's why. I think that J.J. is unlike any other receivers that they have in Philadelphia, even the ones they drafted, apart from Alshon Jeffrey, who, when healthy, was actually made a big, pretty big fantasy impact for the Eagles, scoring an average of 13 points per game when he was playing. Jeffrey missed nine games last year, and he's unlikely to be ready for this season. There's also rumors that he might get traded or cut even. And so I think after a year in the system, J.J. is prepared to take over uh, for Jeffrey's big man in the box, kind of box-out role receiver that's unlike the other receivers. So veteran Deshaun Jackson and the three rookies that they drafted are kind of speedy, take-the-top-off wide receivers, where J.J. and the tight ends can be Zach Ertz and Dallas Goddard can work underneath the coverages. 
If anything, I think this incoming rookie class created more opportunities for J.J., uh, plus he still has higher draft capital being picked as the 25th pick in the second round last year. He's got more draft capital than anyone else except the first-round draft pick, Jalen Rager. J.J. was my 13th-ranked rookie in the 2019 class, and so I still believe in his talent. I think he just needed a year of getting adjusted, and I think by the end of this year, he'll be kind of a startable wide receiver three or flex play for our dynasty teams. Next rookie is also a receiver, Kelvin Harmon. Get this, Kelvin Harmon was my number one ranked rookie prospect before the NFL Combine in 2019. So he was my number one ranked rookie before the Combine. But his poor Combine and surprising fall to the sixth round in the NFL draft made me move him from number one to number 23 before last year's rookie drafts. Fellow rookie, of course, Terry McLaurin, burst onto the scene immediately and became the number one wide receiver in Washington. Washington's struggling offense by the end of the year. But Harmon was the clear number two wide receiver by the end of the year. After Washington's uh, week 10 bye, um, Harmon averaged 83% of the team's snaps and averaged five targets and 41 yards per game. And he did that with a rookie quarterback, Dwayne Haskins, was still starting to show signs of improvement. And he did that under the interim coach, Bill Callahan, who committed himself more than we've ever seen before to just running the ball uh, more than any other team in the league. So I think when Haskins gets better, they have the new coaching staff now that's not going to run the ball as much. It really proves that he's going to be the number two wide receiver in an offense that's going to get better. I believe by the end of the year, he'll become a startable wide receiver three or flex play on dynasty teams. Next breakout is another receiver, Anthony Miller. Uh, Miller's rookie year was solid. It was bolstered by a ridiculous high touchdown percentage of 20%. So he got a touchdown on 20% of his passes, caught seven touchdowns that year. But last year... Um, he his touchdowns went down, but he had 25% more yards and 20% more catches. This year, I think he's going to combine his first and second year performances together to have a 1,000-yard, 8-10 to 10 touchdown season. Uh, Miller's quarterback inaccuracy could not have been worse in his first two years with Mitch Trubisky throwing him the ball. And I think that while Chicago's free agent signing of Nick Foles is no superstar, I think his experience and just consistency should create more opportunities for Miller. It's also true that Miller has played with two injuries in his shoulders the last two seasons, resulting in two surgeries, and he stated in this offseason he's never felt better than he does right now. I loved his uh, college production. Ridiculous. His last two years at Memphis, he averaged over 1,400 yards and 15 touchdowns per season. I think, man, once this guy gets healthy, comes into this year, he's going to be a monster in this year. He's my number one player that I'm trying to target in trades this offseason. Next player I think is going to make a leap in 2020 is Preston Williams. It's kind of cheating. Preston's almost not fair to list the list here because he was already starting to break out last year. But because he was injured in week eight, some people may have forgotten. And so by week three, uh, this rookie was playing 85% of the plays in Miami. He was receiving eight targets a game during that span as well. Ridiculous. Uh, he never had a 100-yard game and only scored three touchdowns. But <clears throat> excuse me. But this injury took place right before Miami really began to gel as a team. They were 0-7 before Williams got hurt. The rest of the year, they played out uh, much better playing 5-4. and four. Dolphins improved this, this offseason, and while Williams watched on the sideline and recovered uh, from his torn ACL, he watched them go and win five out of their last nine games. Plus, Miami improved dramatically during this offseason with free agency in the draft, and they drafted, of course, Tua Tungavoa-Viola, um, who may or may not play this year, but he's going to be paired with Williams for probably a decade to come. Reviving uh, Ryan Fitzpatrick uh, made his receiver relevant after you know reviving Devontae Parker's career last year. And if you didn't already see him as a breakout last year, you surely need to see him as a breakout this year. I think he's going to be 
uh, uh, starting in our starting lineup, uh, number two, kind of wide receiver two for us for the many years to come. Now we move to tight ends. I got a couple tight ends here to list. Uh, first is Hayden Hurst. Uh, Hurst had the draft capital in Baltimore after being drafted in the first round, but he was quickly replaced by Mark Andrews, the tight end in Baltimore, who was drafted two rounds later than the same year. Um, his trade this offseason to Atlanta is really going to give him the opportunity he needs to revitalize his young career. Uh, Austin Hooper's breakout last year, I really believe, is more a product of the offense than it was his talent. I, th- I see Hooper as more of a middle-of-the-pack athlete that just won with smarts and opportunity and the fact that he had built a strong connection with Matt Ryan. All Hurst lacks compared to Hooper, in my opinion, is chemistry. Ryan targeted Hooper seven times a game last year, and there's no reason why Hurst couldn't see nearly the same amount of targets with the Falcons, who passed more than any other team in the league last year and did not improve much at defense um, this offseason and they play in a high-scoring division. So all these things lead me to believe that he's going to get, likely, the same amount of targets that Hooper got, seven per game. There could be a lot of shootouts and a lot of catch-up games. I think by the end of the year, if he forms that chemistry with Matt Ryan, Hurst could be an every-week starter in a very muddy, kind of of middle-of-the-pack, tight-end position. Definitely not a top-tier guy, but he could be a top-12 guy that we play and put in our lineups every week by the end of the year. One more tight end to list here is Johnny Smith as a breakout candidate. Tight ends, of course, take longer than any other position to break out, especially if they have a solid veteran in front of them. Smith, of course, had Delaney Walker starting in front of him his first three years, but even so, he improved and increased his playing time and his productivity every year. So 40, 40 points, fantasy points his first year, 54 the next year, and last year jumped up to 102 fantasy points. Now Delaney Walker is no longer on the team, which means Smith is poised for a tremendous breakout this year, I believe. Smith was up and down, of course, gaining, gaining the starting role last year. After Walker was injured in week eight, his his lows were very low, scoring five or fewer points five times, but his highs were very high, scoring 10, or, 10 points or more four times, including two 14-point 14, two 14 games and one 17-point game. So Smith's one of those guys that's upside is great, but it's also limited because he has on a, a run-first team, but his incredible athleticism makes him kind of a big play waiting to happen. And so I think by the end of the year, he'll be one of those kind of streaming tight ends that could be perfect for rosters that maybe don't have a tight, uh, top tier, top five tight end, but just kind of mix and match, the, play the matchups every week. I think he could get top 12 scoring many weeks if you uh, time it right. Two more tight ends to mention here at the end. Number nine, Irv Smith. I think like I just mentioned with Johnny Smith, Irv Smith was drafted to a team that had a reliable veteran ahead of him and, and Kyle Rudolph. Um, his draft capital, though, 18th pick of the second round and a significant playing time last year. He played 75% of the snaps um, compared to Rudolph's, snap, Rudolph's snaps. So Rudolph definitely played more, but but Irv Smith played a lot as well. I think Rudolph's four-year contract extension is a slight concern for Dynasty owners, but only Philadelphia ran more 12 personnel than Minnesota last year. So I think that Rudolph and Irv Smith were going to be on the field a lot at the same time. Add to that the fact that Stefan Diggs was traded, meaning there's 101 targets that have been vacated. Rookie Justin Jefferson and free agent signee Tajay Sharp should get a lot of those 101 targets, but Smith should get far more than the 50 that he received last year. He allow, uh, His skills, I really believe, allow him to be more of the move tight end, while Rudolph is better in the traditional inline role. Rudolph admittedly is, I think, much better at the red zone target. We saw it in that playoff game last year, so he should probably continue to score more touchdowns. So I do think he's going to score more uh, touchdowns than Smith, but he's not going to get more targets. I think the targets are going to change pretty drastically. Targets are what I expect to change significantly, even if touchdowns don't. Smith will end the season with more fantasy points than Rudolph this year and will take over as the top tight end position for the rest of their careers. 
And finally, the last guy here is Chris Herndon. Chris Herndon did absolutely nothing last year. <laughs> he came back from a suspension uh, with an injury and caught one pass for seven yards. <laughs> Fantastic, right? Still, I really think that he's going to break out in the next year. Here's why. Ryan Griffin, a sixth-round draft pick in 2013, who's bounced around the league since he came into the league, really became a streamable tight end last year in New York, especially after Sam Darnold came back from his illness. He was the 20th highest-scoring tight end last year. And if this less, less athletic Griffin can do that as uh, the 201st draft pick in t- 2013, then I'm sure that Herndon can do the same thing or more because he's more athletic and he was drafted 107th in the 2018 draft. In 2018, as a rookie, Herndon scored more points than Griffin did last year. Uh, he also, add, you can add along, uh, he also did that along with fellow rookie Sam Darnold. Both Darnold and Herndon, Herndon uh, enter their third year in 2020, and I think each should improve. While he had a pretty much completely absent year in 29, I'm happy to believe that the connection that I saw in 2018 is what they will look like in 2020. I have him uh, put my money where my mouth is because I traded for him in several leagues, and I have him uh, on the bench and have kept him and held him and never thought about dropping him, even through all the adversity of last year. So I believe Chris Herndon is poised to break out. That's it. These are players you ought to go by, and if you already have them on your teams, hope it makes you a little more confident in having them. I appreciate your giving a listen. As always, make it a two-way conversation anytime by contacting me at dynastyfreaks at gmail.com. That's dynastyfreaks with two E's. I am much better on email than I am on Twitter, so that's the best way to contact me, dynastyfreaks at gmail.com. I would be honored if you take time to rate and review the podcast at Apple Podcasts. That would mean a lot to me. Again, thanks for listening. I appreciate your support, and I do want to become your most trusted, independent voice in the Dynasty community. Until next time, you know what to do. Go out there and get freaky. Thanks for listening to the Dynasty Freaks podcast with your host, Justin Christopher. We welcome your thoughts and advice. Let us know what you'd like to hear on the podcast or see on the website to help you dominate your league. Justin prides himself in responding to every email, so hit him up anytime at dynastyfreaks at gmail.com and follow him on Twitter at LonghornJustin. Justin.